Our scripture reading this morning is 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. Whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. Wow. Good morning, church. Please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. An old man in Phoenix calls his son in New York City. He said, this is a hard call to make, but your mom and I, after 45 years, have decided to get a divorce. 45 years is long, long enough to suffer. I'm tired of the misery, and I'm tired of talking about it. So call your sister. And Dad hung up. Jack couldn't believe it. He called his sister in Chicago and said, Dad just called and said he and Mom are getting a divorce. She said, no, they're not. And immediately called her dad and said, I don't know what you two are thinking, but Jack and I will be there on the first flight out in the morning, and don't you do a thing until we get there. Do you understand? The father hung up the phone, and he turned to his wife and said, Honey, the kids are coming for Christmas, and they're paying their own way. (laughs) That was for Troy. He not only loves to laugh, but he loves to make people laugh. Forcing someone to give is possible, but it's never preferable. And it certainly isn't profitable when it comes to relationships. I want us this morning to take a look at what I think many of us consider the most challenging type of giving. And I want to do it through a song. As a matter of fact, the first Christmas song. The first Christmas carol. I don't know about you, but I love, love Christmas carols. My favorite is Oh Holy Night. And I know you have one too. But the oldest Christmas carol may be among some of the oldest words ever written in the New Testament. The theme of those words is giving. But a unique kind of giving. Paul uses it in his letter to the Philippians. It's a song that was a favorite of the early churches. If you've got a printed Bible that you're looking at this morning, there's a, there's a good chance you'll see that this particular section is set off in verse text. It's because Paul's quoting from a popular song. And here are the words. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. But he emptied himself. And he took the form of a slave being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Would you bow with me? Mighty God, thank you so much for everything that you have arranged in today's service. You knew what was going to happen with Troy and their family and this team. And even the songs, as Justin has said, have been meaningful already. And our prayer is that these words would also be meaningful, not just to the Salouis team, but also to all of us, to many of us who walked in with our own tragedies that have been crushing the life out of us. Father, we pray a special prayer for the Salvation Army. What a church that is. They make such a difference in people's lives who have crashed and are desperate. And uh, we ask that along with them, we would be the kind of disciples 
that would be a light in this world when it's very, very dark. And we thank you for the opportunity to do that. And most of all, we thank you for the light you have placed within us so that we could. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. I'm launching a short series today that I'm calling The First Christmas. And we're going to be talking about some of the first that are in the first Christmas. I'm guessing each of you who have kids most likely have an ornament um, that's probably known as the first Christmas ornament for that child. That's because firsts are special. First steps, first words, first date, first kiss, first paycheck that our kids have once they've graduated college. Some of you are waiting on that first. But a baby's first Christmas, I think, fits right in there with all of those. For the next three weeks, we're going to be celebrating some of God's favorite items that are attached to Christmas. One of them is hope. Charlie McCormick stood right here last week, and he talked to us about that incredible part of the Christmas package that came with Jesus. Today, we're going to be talking about peace. In the next two weeks, we're going to be talking about joy and love, all of them a part of this Christmas season. Now, to help out with this series, I need to give you a homework assignment, and here it is. If you've got time this week and think of it, I want you to get your phone out. Notice I don't say camera anymore. Get your phone out and take a picture of one of the first Christmas ornaments that you have on your tree that, that belongs to one of your children. Now, I realize you've probably had way too much peace in your house, and I don't know how you're going to come to decide which one picture you're going to send us via email do one potato, two potato, however you do it. Maybe the first child, first Christmas ornament gets to come. Doesn't matter. But we'd love to have those and show those before services and after services. Would you do that for us? Uh, that would be very, very helpful. At the first Christmas, Jesus came to best answer the, probably the most basic question every religion is attempting to answer. And here's what it is. How can a man get to God? How can a man get to God? If that's a question that's caused some unrest in your life, I'd like to do what I can to help change that. If you've experienced some unpeace in your life, regardless of how you define that word this morning, but you know you have it, God would like very much to offer his peace to you. But maybe before we can answer that question, there's an even deeper question that's more important, and here it is. Who is this God that men need to get to? Christmas, I think, answers that question in a way that deserves every human being's attention. Other faiths basically teach God's above, God's alone, and God's aloof. But Christianity says, no, God comes. And more than that, God humbles himself to get here. He gets low to get here. God in the flesh didn't think equality with God something to be held on to, to cling to, Paul said a few moments ago. Now that's so foreign to our human nature. Because we are by nature clingers and clutchers. We want to hold on to anything that we think gives us an advantage or leverage in life. A man was getting into his Jaguar at a country club. And a shabbily dressed fellow walked up to him and said, can you give me 10 bucks for a meal? The man in his polo shirt said, well, if I give you 10 bucks, how do I know you're not going to go buy booze with it? The guy said, well, I haven't drank in years. You're just going to have to trust me. He said, well, if I give you 10 bucks, what if you go off and gamble with it? And he said, sir, I need every single dollar I get. I can't afford to gamble anything. 
He said, well, what if, what if I give you this 10 bucks and you go buy your own green fee and go play some golf? He said, I hadn't had money to play golf in over 20 years, sir. And the guy said, well, I am not going to give you 10 bucks. He said, I'm going to take you home to meet my wife. And the guy that was shabbily dressed said, well, I, you think that'll be a good idea? I mean, I don't, I don't look very good. I don't smell very good. He said, oh, yeah, you're coming home to meet my wife because she needs to see what a man looks like who gives up booze, gambling, and golf. <laughs> now, there really is a moral to that story that fits the text this morning. Here's the point. We don't mind giving. It's giving up that's difficult. I'll be generous at Christmas time. I'll, I'll give people that I love great presents that I know will bless them. I'll even give some folks I don't love great presents that I know will bless them. But I do mind giving up control and security and comfort. Truth is, I can be generous when it comes to giving you things that bless you, but I'm not very good at giving up things that bless me. Just being honest. Privileges and advantages that I've worked hard to acquire, I don't give those up very easily. The first Christmas is significant, I think, for more than what was given, but what was given up. You see, the first Adam was a, a clutcher, a clinger, and an ascender. He wanted to grab what he was warned to leave alone. He wanted to ascend where he had no right to climb. He wanted to be like God. Then the second Adam, Jesus, was born, who descended and let go of certain rights and privileges of being God. He didn't consider equality with God something to cling to, but he emptied himself, and he became a servant. In many ways, that's exactly what makes the mission families that we are sending off today special in my eyes. I know the Dye family and the Gibbons family and the Hill family, they're giving people. But even more significant to me is they're giving up people. What they're leaving behind is amazing. The security of great hospitals, which came in handy this week and still is. They've become accustomed to that. A language that they're accustomed to sharing just without even thinking. They become very accustomed to that. A family that they love and are so loved by. They've become pretty accustomed to that. Comfortable homes, jobs, friends, so many more things that they enjoy and have become very accustomed to. They're willing to give up and to serve some people, listen to me, who may not even care that they're coming, who most likely don't know they're coming. Why would they do that? Because they have the mindset of someone who emptied himself to serve others. And he let go of some blessings that he had the right to call his own. Now, don't take my word for it. What I'd like to do is offer you a chance to hear it from their own mouths via video. A very short video. But would you please watch the screen and enjoy. I'm Mark, and this is my wife, Melinda, and we're the Dye family. I'm Troy, and this is my wife, Lauren, and we're the Gibbons family. And I'm Justin, and this is my wife, Jill, and we're the Hill family. The vast majority of the population of Brazil lives in major cities, which in Brazil are, are all on the coast. São Luís is a capital city of Maranhão, 
and that's where the people are at. And so if we can plant a church, generate some energy for the body of Christ in the capital, the hope is that that then spreads out within the city and within the countryside and then within the state. And we have contacts in Fortaleza and Sierra. We have contacts in Terezina, which is in POE. And those three states uh, sort of triangulate together. So one of our hopes is long-term, 15, 20, 30 years from now, God takes some of our initiative here in San Luis and makes an impact on an entire region of Brazil, not just one city. Even though we all experience trials and tribulations, we've seen that God is, is the one that gets us through. The fact that He's overcome the world and He's given us the gift of salvation, He's given us grace and He's given us what we need to make it through to the other side. And we're going to a people who also have struggles and we have that gift of Jesus to share with them. He lives inside of us and we're taking Him to them. We've been working together in ministry here at church for probably 13 to 14 years. I think that's a big asset of the team is the diversity of our experiences. We can apply those same things that we've learned here and offer those in San Luis as well. We met you guys the first day we attended here. We showed up at the Gibbons house for game night, knocked on the door and you're like, hey, come on in. The Hills and us actually met at a Brazil campaign meeting. We all worked in uh, NEON together, working with the small group ministries. NEON stood for Need Each Other Now, and we would disciple and mentor the youth as they would work their way through their tough years of high school. We actually came up with a survivor, David Ingram, who lived in Brazil for 25 years as a missionary. He said, man, uh, do you think we could take this to Brazil, do it for the youth down there? And, and I remember thinking, man, that's crazy. Uh, but I said, yeah, absolutely, we can do that. A year later, we were in Brazil. The response was incredible. The people were very open to the love that we were trying to share through Christ. It is a different culture. They're gonna to have to learn the language. But even then, they, they've taken this on as something that they've already been doing for years here. They already have this team, this family form. And I just can't imagine how big a leap that that would allow them to make once they arrive on the mission field because these are three families that are mature, they're grounded in their faith, they are willing to make sacrifices for the kingdom and trust God for the consequences. When I think about going to, to start a church and to try to disciple others and share the good news, I'm excited because we've been there and we've done that. And I think we've done a pretty good job of being able to teach others how to do that, how to recognize that as well. And we want people to realize that they've been gifted by God. It's part of all of our ministry efforts. We try to find people's hidden gifts and talents and find ways to reveal those to them. This is about Jesus. It's about reaching others. It's about sharing it. It's gonna shape into something that is uniquely Brazilian. Not only are we carrying our own personal experiences and overcoming in our faith, but on a professional level, you know, Justin's practiced medicine. He's professionally prepared to help with that. Mark has gone through social work. He's professionally ready to help with marriages. Jill Help started the SAFE Ministry, which is a foster and adoption support group. Lauren has started a women's ministry. We've started a marriage ministry. Feels like it's been a training ground, walking through life with our team and with the people in San Luis. We're learning how to empathize with people. We're moving from just compassion and sympathy to really feeling what people feel when they go through it. And that is how we can connect with the truth in the Bible and how we can help people heal. We're drawing off your strength to keep pushing through and keep saying, yes, God, I'm still following you. As they moved to Brazil, 
the San Luis Mission Team is partnering with Great Cities Missions and will stay connected with the experienced Great City staff as the team plants and grows the church in San Luis. The San Luis team is going through intense missions training with Great Cities in language preparation, team dynamics, and urban church planting strategy. Great Cities Missions has been sharing the gospel in the Latin world for 40 years and has sent 42 missionary teams to 11 different countries. The San Luis Team Mission Plan. Settle into San Luis and begin intensive language and cultural training. Begin the Great Cities Missions Plan to start a new congregation. Find, rent, and prepare a temporary space to launch the church. Concentrate on outreach and growing a large faith community. Launch multiplying small groups that will spread throughout the city. Prepare members for the ministry in the church and the community. Raise up national leaders who will lead the congregation. Begin the process of securing a permanent building. And finally, plant other new congregations. We hope to form a church that is gonna be culturally relevant. They can come into and they can worship God in a passionate way and give their hearts to Him. My biggest fear going down there is that this does something that messes up our kids. We've been specifically praying for the impact, not, not just the adjustment period, it's what's the lasting impact on their lives, on their love for Jesus, and on their ability to impact the kingdom as well. Our kids are gonna be experiencing something really different for the first time, and so I've been praying a lot for your kids. We've laughed together and played together and planned together and implemented together and cried together and fought together. And we've done all those things in an atmosphere where we were trying to do something good for Jesus. He will continue, as He has been, to just keep on providing all of what we need, no matter what it is, even before we even ask. We're seeing that in our fundraising efforts, in preparation with our church support, with the prayers, with the encouragement. It's just incredible to watch Him work. They feel like they're being blessed because they get to go do this. God was affirming, this is me, I want you in this place right now. And now we get to see what is God gonna do with us. We have no idea what that's gonna be, but man, it's gonna be good. So for the men to come back and share those stories that strangers on the street approached them asking to be a part of the church they were starting, it feels like God is pushing us there. We're going with God and we're going together. That's been the focus from the very beginning. It's not about our stories as an individual. It's about his story as he works through us as a team. We chose to raise money together as a team because we are a team. This is about what God is doing and what he's doing through our three families as we go to Brazil, as we work together as his family to share Jesus. And we would like you to be a part of that team as well. We want you to come along with us. Join us at www.salonwisteam.org. Sharing Jesus in a creative, unique, innovative way that, that leaves, leaves a lasting, lasting effect. effect. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving Him. Of serving Him by spreading the good news. This good news. Ephesians 3, 7. We are going to San Luis, Brazil. Come along with us. All of us can be generous to give. But what sets Christians apart is that we'll give up some things to bless other people's lives. Please don't think it was easy for Jesus to do that. Please don't think it was easy for him to come and put on flesh. Because in doing so, Jesus chose the greatest demotion 
in history. Now, if you're trying to explain this to any other religion, they're going to say, he did what? (laughs) And I'm going to say, you heard me right, the Almighty demoted himself and came to be one of us. Now, God, for thousands of years, had tried to reveal himself and, and had done a pretty good job through the creation, through Scripture. But his most complete and most meaningful revelation, I have to believe, was when the invisible God became visible in Bethlehem. Paul says in the book of Colossians that Christ is the invisible image of the visible, or sorry, he is the visible image of the invisible God. The prophets called him Emmanuel, God with us, because that's who Jesus is. And this is so foreign to how most faith systems actually think about their gods. God's not just above in their systems, he's fixed. He's stationary. He's unmovable. But Christmas tells us, no, God comes. He said to Abraham, I'll be with you. He said to Moses and Israel, I'll go with you. But one of the most amazing journeys the Father ever promised to make was this. He said, I'll come be with you, yea, even in you. John puts it like this. So the Word became flesh, and he made his home among us. It's not just that God came our way, it's the way that he came that is significant. And we've heard it so often, I think we lost and have to be reminded over and over again of the radical truth about his coming. The first Christmas says the infinite God became a very finite single cell. And then that cell became a fertilized egg, surrounded by amniotic fluid in the womb of a virgin. The Almighty became the all-tiny, and then at his birth... The invisible became visible. The God who was everywhere was all of a sudden in the arms of a very specific mother somewhere in Bethlehem. That's amazing. And folks, if what we proclaim is true, it changes everything. But if what we proclaim is just myth, it's not just naive, we're nuts. We are. Because the one who spoke the universe into existence, we believe, had to learn how to walk. If you believe that, say, we do. The one who holds the cosmos together was so frail, he had to be held. If you believe that, say, we do. Our faith is grounded in claims just like that. We've been studying for the last two months that this one who makes all of this comes to live not just among us, but in us. And in our Lights Out series, we saw that some people said, that's too much. (laughs) No way. There's no way God goes that far. And so John says back, you better test the spirits who don't believe that. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ came to earth as a human, that spirit's from God. And every spirit that refuses to say this about Jesus not from God. It's pretty strong. It has to be because we're not claiming that Jesus was half man and half God. We're claiming a mystery far bigger than that. We're claiming that he was fully man and fully God. He didn't relinquish his divine nature, but he did relinquish his divine glory. He set aside certain divine attributes, and as long as he was among us, he refused to reclaim them for his own comfort and his own advantage. What am I talking about? There were nights when Jesus went to bed and his stomach growled from hunger because he was a poor man and knew what it was like 
to not have everything he wanted to eat. There were nights when he wished he had another blanket because he was cold. And when he stepped on a sharp rock and he cut his foot, it bled just like ours would. And at the end of a long day, after he'd been walking and teaching, he yawned and couldn't wait to put his head down on something soft because he was tired, just like you would be. That's one reason the Bible says he's our faithful high priest. And he welcomes us to bring every concern, every anxiety, everything that we're feeling today about Troy. Bring to me, because I know what it's like to walk in your shoes, to live in your skin. Bring it to me. Talk to me about it. Share it with me, and let me walk with you. When you're tired and life hurts and it's frustrating, we can know that Jesus has been there. No other religion tells you about a God like that just doesn't. But he didn't just come to understand what it's like to be a human. He didn't just come to empathize with our struggles. He became visible and touchable because God had to become, listen to me, perishable. God had to become perishable. So many of our Christmas carols are dreamt in the gospel message, and I love it. That's why I love Christmas carols. And here's a verse out of one of my faves. Mild he lay his glory by Born that man no more to die, may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. He didn't just come to become like one of us. He came to rescue all of us. Now this is where Christmas gets a little offensive. Kind of loses its cuteness and its brightness. Because we saw in our Wednesday night class just this last week, the common narrative of our culture is that I'm okay and you're okay. I've got my truth, you've got your truth, and and the job is for every human being is just to try their best to live out that truth and be as as succinct and in sync with that truth as they possibly can be. Now, if that's true, the manger is not necessary. If that's true. A sinless life isn't necessary. And if that's true, the cross certainly isn't necessary. But the manger had to happen is what the Christmas story says. Because humanity was lost. And we think we're basically good people and we got just a few kinks to work out. But Christmas says, no, Jesus came because we didn't need repair. We needed rescuing. In Galatians 1 and verse 4, Paul says, Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us. From the present evil age, that's according to God anyways. Why? Because God faced the biggest moral dilemma ever. He loves his kids, but he's too holy to be in the presence of sin. And his kids had rebelled and were full of it. So how in the world does God save his kids and not compromise that holiness? Well, the truth is someone's got to die. Because the wages of sin is death. Either the kids die or a sinless substitute, and God chose the latter. Solution couldn't be spoken. It had to be suffered. And Bethlehem saw the arrival of a God who would do just that. Remember what the angel told Joseph? Mary is going to give birth to a son, Joseph, and you're to give him the name Yeshua. And why in the world give Mary's name the son God saves? Why? Because that's what he came to do. He came to save his people not from enemies, not from problems. He came to save his people from their sins. 
And that makes the Christmas story just a little offensive to a lot of people. But Jesus didn't come to be your life coach, friend. Sorry. He didn't come to give you good advice. He came because you needed rescue. Everybody loves Jesus the moralist. So let me be clear. You won't see heaven because you admire what Jesus taught. You're not going to see heaven because you're trying to emulate teachings that he, he espoused. And we're children of God because we've recognized and admitted our fallenness. No more. Our rebellion against this God. And if we surrender to his lordship and if we begged him to wash us in his blood and to be covered in his righteousness, that's the only means by which we can be saved. That's the only thing that makes us a child of God. No longer, Romans says, an enemy of his. You mean it went that far? Oh, yes. That's so how the response to our sin had to be so great. You talk about peace treaties. There was none like this one. And that's such good news that the Salouise team says, we, we got to go to Brazil. We got to go. And maybe, maybe next year at this time, who knows, they'll be talking about maybe the first Christmas when they're enjoying their first Christmas there. But it's the best Christmas gift ever. It's the best Christmas gift ever. I'm going to conclude with Max Lucado's words. I love these. Consider the gift for a moment, all right? What Jesus really did. He swapped a spotless castle for a grimy stable. He exchanged the worship of angels for the company of killers. The one who holds the world in the palm of his hand gave it up to float in the womb of a maiden. Now, if you were God, would you sleep on straw? Would you nurse from a breast? Would you be clothed in a diaper? Christ did. If you knew that only a few would care that you came, would you still go? If you knew that those who loved you would laugh in your face, no more so slap your face, would you still care? Would you still care if you knew the tongues you made would mock you? The mouths you made would spit on you? The hands you made would crucify you? Would you still make them? Christ did. And then he emptied himself. He went from commanding angels to sleeping on the straw. The palm that held the universe took the nail of a soldier. Why? Because we needed him to. And that's what love does. It puts the beloved before itself. And so your soul was more important than his safety, and so we came. Because your place in heaven was more important than his place in heaven. And so we gave up his so you could have yours. That was the first Christmas. And the first Christmas is not about giving. It's about giving up. He didn't humble himself despite being God. No, Jesus humbled himself because that's who God is. Jesus didn't come to change God's mind about us. He came to change our minds about our God. And when you get to know that God, peace won't just have been present at the first Christmas. It'll be a part of yours. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning. We give you thanks and praise and glory and honor. And we give you our amazement that you would come. See, we know us. And we know you know us. And so it shocks us that you would come. You would take on flesh and endure life in this place and what we've made of it by our choices and by our rebellion. 
And you would allow those choices in rebellion to get on you in such a way it would take the life out of you. Please, Father, help us take the great news of this message that that you would come and take the penalty of our sin upon yourself. Call your own death, call your own resurrection, and then to see God bring you back from the tomb, from the death that we all deserved. Father, we want to take that message everywhere we can. Please be with the Salawis team as they do so. And as we pray over them, Father, now, would you please pour out your peace on them? We ask in Jesus' name. We'd like to do just that as we wrap up our our time together this morning. The invitation usually means, would you come? But what we'd like to do is ask, first of all, our elders to come. So guys, would you start making your way up here, please? And as soon as the elders are in place, what we're then going to ask is for our San Luis team to come and to be right in the middle, right in front of them, and then we're going to surround them as an eldership to pray over them. And then lastly, we're going to ask and invite any of you who'd like to also come and surround them with your hands on our elders So please come and join us down front. But right now we're asking for our elders to come. I'd like to invite everyone to stand now, please. Even if you're not going to make your way down here, please stand. And some of you you feel comfortable where you are, just please extend an arm. You can be a part of the circle even where you're at. And just join us as together we pray over this team. Father, we love you. And in the name of Jesus Christ, we send these incredible people, our brothers, our sisters. We thank you so very much for your promise that... um, Your name is a mighty tower that we could run into and is a refuge for strength. We claim that power. We claim that that strength for our brother who can't be with us today. We love Troy. We love Lauren and their family. We know they're where they need to be. But right now, we realize we can be with them and you in the throne room. We are so grateful for the hearts of these team members, for the Dyes, for the Gibbons, for the Hills. Please, God, fill them with your spirit. Fill them with your joy. Fill them with your love. Fill them with every aspect of who you are. Thank you for their willing to to not just give, but to give up and to leave behind and to go to a place that has a lot of question marks on it. But, Father, they're willing to go because you've promised that you would go with them, that you would be in them. We have no idea how you're going to work and minister through these wonderful people, but we believe you will. And together we send them out in the powerful name of Jesus Christ to do great things, not for them, but for you and your glory. You are so worthy. Thank you for coming. It is the only thing that inspires their going. And we give you all the glory and all the praise in the powerful name of Jesus. And everyone said.